The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vinceri, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vinceri to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vinceri. Visit vinceri.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out You have tuned in to Talent Talk Asia, and my name is Andrea Ross, your host. Today's episode is You, Me, and the Big C, and I'm joined by Craig Brewer, a really good friend of mine, who's the APAC Talent Acquisition, Talent Management, and Strategic Sourcing Lead for TW Power, who's based in Melbourne. Craig was diagnosed with melanoma, a very dangerous form of skin cancer in 2018, and looked at cancer in the eye and miraculously beat it. Talent Talk Asia is lending you into a story about courage, resilience and hope. Craig will share his journey with coming to terms with a stage four diagnosis, how returning to work was a welcome distraction and how a radical treatment called immunotherapy allowed his own body to destroy cancer cells. We will at one time in our lives be affected by cancer. This is a topic really close to my heart. So tune in to listen to Craig's brave story, how he left his old self behind and now looks at life through a different lens. Let's do our part to support those going through difficult times, whether it be physical, mental illness, or perhaps the stresses of the unknown with the coronavirus. Tune in. I hope you enjoy the show. So hi, podcast listeners. Um, I am on the Zoom with Craig Brewer. Um, We're going to get straight into it because as everyone can probably appreciate, everyone's remote working. And so we're using Zoom. And as much as we love Zoom and Skype and all those wonderful things, we keep getting lots of interruptions because everyone's pretending to work and be remote working and everything. So we're going to get straight into it. Um, So um, you and I both decided that we were going to do a podcast about something that was quite close to our hearts um, in regards to cancer the big C, the scary, the scary cancer. Um, And we really wanted to do something a little bit different on this podcast. We didn't want it to be a depressing one because we all know that cancer can be fairly depressing. Um, But we wanted to put a little bit of a spin on this cast, um, especially with what's going on in the world with coronavirus and um, really sort of teaching people to be a little bit more resilient. And I really wanted you on the show because I wanted you to share your story with everyone, um, which we'll get onto in a second. Um, So today, this podcast is really different. It's really to give you, give all the listeners some tips and some practical tools um, to kind of get them um, more resilient during these kind of tough times at the moment for everyone really around the world. And what we're obviously seeing with the lights of sort of celebrities and um, people sort of suffering from mental illness and all these um, kind of things that are happening with, to people at the moment, we really wanted to do something a little bit different and, and hopefully um, help people that are sort of facing some tough times. So Craig, tell me, um, run me through sort of your, your background as a, you know, when you, were, when you were growing up, tell me a little bit more about your life growing up in Australia. 
Okay, so I had um, what probably I guess people overseas would be considered to be a pretty normal life for an Australian. I grew up in a small town near the coast. Um, mm-hmm. So well, when I say I grew up, um, my family and I moved around a lot and we ended up um, at a place called Sawtell in northern New South Wales when I was about yes. 11. Um, and it's a pretty small place. So there's not much to do. Um, so I found my way to the beach um, pretty quickly um, okay. and ended up spending spending a lot of weekends and then um, a lot of spare time. It became a real interest for me. I ended up doing my surf life savings certificate and, um, you know, ended up then bodyboarding and body surfing and right. basically just spending my spare time my spare time and some school time, which didn't go over too well, um, at the at the beach with my friends. Um, so yeah, just your typical Aussie kid outdoor type lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, which is still pretty much a lifestyle for a lot of Australians now, right? Because your beaches are so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then when I finished school, I moved to Sydney, which again most people would know, beautiful beaches, pretty good weather, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, sure, I was working five days a week, but spending a lot of time outdoors and and um at the beach and in the sun um so yeah it just it just became part of my lifestyle even when i moved to singapore years later um everyone knows singapore great weather pretty hot you got to be careful there in the sun because it is brutally hot yeah Um, yeah. but i've just always been one of those people who i would say enjoys being outside we used to go to bali didn't you you're always you're always surfing at bali (laughs) yeah it was my little uh my little paradise hideaway when I was in oh, Singapore, wow. it was so close. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it there. So that was a really big part of your life. So it, which obviously brings me up to get straight into it, that in July 2018, you were diagnosed with melanoma. So obviously a, a, a pretty awful um, and dangerous form of skin cancer. So sh- share with me more about this, how you found out, what, you know, and what was kind of your initial reaction? Yeah, it really came out of the blue. Um, cause I, I think a lot of people think of skin cancer and they think, oh, you have a mole that changes mm. color or it's something on your skin. Uh, yeah. and it was very different for me. Um, I felt a little lump on the inside of my bottom lip, uh, right. just above where you can scar now actually. And, uh, initially I, I wasn't that concerned about it. And, um, three or four weeks later, it was still there. It wasn't sore or anything. And I, I did what everyone does. I put it into Google, uh, and it came up with, oh, it's probably a, assist which is isn't dangerous yeah um but it was getting bigger and i went to the doctor and he said to me yeah it's assist um it's not dangerous i'll send you off to a dermatologist and um he'll take a look at it and the dermatologist said exactly the same thing he said yeah i can't remember what he yeah what he called it uh but he said look if you want to get rid of it i'll I'll have to cut it out and i said look i do want to get rid of it it's kind of it's annoying me yeah so he said great come back in a week and i'll I'll cut it out. It was just day surgery and off I went, had it cut out, didn't think anything of it. Uh, and I got a call from his office about a week later. Uh, I had some stitches out and they called me and said, I'll oh, come in for your results. Mm. But I, I remember he actually said to me when he was going to cut it out, he said to me, look, you've got nothing to worry about. It's not cancer or anything. And, and I didn't even think it was. Um, so anyway, I, I roll in there and it was a Monday morning. Um, and he called me into his office. And as soon as I walked in, he said to me, has anyone called you about your results? And that's when I knew. And he spent the next 10 minutes shooting me pretty straight. He said, look, that lump that I've cut out of your lip is a malignant melanoma. Um, and it's pretty serious. He said to me, I'm going to have to refer you on to the melanoma clinic, one of the melanoma clinics here in Melbourne. And um, 
I think I reacted the way most people react. My heart sort of sunk. And yeah. I said to him, well, what does this mean? And mm-hmm. he said, look, what you do need to understand is melanoma is not a death sentence anymore. And I thought, shit, like that's pretty serious language, but he's saying the right thing. And Yeah, which you clutch hold of, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I said to him, well, what are my chances? Am, am I 50%? Am I 70%? And he said, no, no, you're higher than that. He, he explained to me that melanoma, although it's dangerous and it is mm. the most dangerous form of skin cancer, it rarely spreads. Um, but he said, you need to go off to the Alfred, you need to go home, you need to call this, this number, and it was one of the melanoma nurses, and go and see them. Were you on your own when you went to the doctors? Yeah. Yeah, because you don't think anything of it. You just think, oh, just a normal checkup, right? Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought he was going to – I thought it was procedure. I thought they were going to say, look, it's okay, it's fine. How do you feel? Yep, off you go. So I went home and I was, I was pretty shaken. Um, yeah. And then we actually went to the hospital two days later. Um, so the next day I went back to work and I remember I was on the train and I Googled malignant melanoma. Oh, God, did you? I did exactly what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> exactly. It was pretty confronting. Like, yeah. this was 2000 and, and, um, 2017. So um, my, it, this was like May, June 2017. And I remember Googling and I'm not on this packed train. I'm on my way to work. Oh, and the big stat God. that came up, the number that came up was um, if melanoma spreads and becomes stage four, it's got a oh. 5% one year survival rate and you're there on a packed train looking that up so what was going through your mind then i was freaking out yeah um and i got to work and and i spoke to my boss and she said look you should go home um so i went home and i went off to the hospital the next day and we saw the registrar they you know the room's full of people you get called in mm-hmm. and i saw the registrar and he just he just laid it out he said yes it's a malignant melanoma we know it is we've tested it um he said to me, look, in layman's terms, if a melanoma is one millimetre thick, it's serious. And he said, yours is almost seven millimetres. He said to me, the kind of melanoma you have grows down. He said, so it's very dangerous because it's more prone to spreading. Right. Um, but then he, he, you know, and I remember I started to cry. I was just shaking, I think. I was yeah. in shock. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, he said to me, look, we're going to have to operate. We're going to have to try and get the rest of what could be in there. Um, yeah. We also want to do a procedure where we're going, to, we're going to check your lymph nodes and we're going to remove some lymph nodes to see if the cancer is in there because one of the two ways cancer spreads is through your lymph nodes and the other way is through your blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent the next three or four hours at the hospital, saw the plastic surgeon and everything. Um, I couldn't come back for the operation for another 10 days. Um, so that was really tough. That, that why, why was that? What, what, just in terms of scheduling or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to see a surgeon and um, they said to me, look, although it's dangerous, we have a backlog of people um, that need to go, need to go in. And, yeah. and like what I know now is 10 days, 10 days isn't really going to make any difference. Um, no. If it's there and it's, and it's present, it's present. So what was going through your mind on those 10 days? Like was this going to work? Did you take some time off? Like what, was, what were you doing? I decided to take the time off and my wife yeah. and I, left the city with our, with our young kids and we went um, to her mother's place for a little while just so I could get out of the city and, and yeah. try and not think about it. But it, it shook me because mm. um, I knew that there was a chance it could spread and I knew that it would be a long time before I would know whether or not this stuff 
is in my blood and in my system. Yeah. Um, and the, I think just the severity of it really hit me hard. Um, yeah. you know, and, and I wouldn't say I'm a pessimistic person. I didn't, I didn't automatically think I was going to die. I just wanted to know what will happen if, mm. if it spreads. And yeah. the, the nurse, I remember I spoke to the nurse and the registrar a few times on the phone over the coming days leading up to my surgery. And they said, look, if it does spread, you'll go on this treatment called immunotherapy. Um, and it's, it's shown to be successful for melanoma. It, it, you know, they, they didn't talk to me about success rates, but they said, look, that's what would happen. This is a new therapy that in Australia. Okay. Brand new. Yeah. Wow. It, 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 well, it's brand new. It's brand new in the world. It, it, it's, um, it's been around a little while. Like it's only been um, part of standard treatment here in Australia for melanoma now for about three or four years. Up until then, you had to get on a drug trial. And what's involved? So to cut a long story short, I went back and had the surgery. Um, they removed some more of my lip and, and you can see the scar here on my face. They removed the lymph yeah. nodes. And I came back a few days later and they said, it's not in your lymph nodes. So I was relieved. I was yeah. over the moon yeah. thinking, you know, I'm probably home. And, and the way they were yeah. speaking about it was, look, this is a really good sign. Mm-hmm. We need you to come back in three months and we'll do a scan to see if it's in your blood. But again, it rarely spreads. Um, then I had to go through like you did. I, I had radiation treatment on the area. Um, mm. And what I learned was radiation won't stop the cancer from spreading, but it can stop it from coming back in that spot. So the right. idea is they burn the absolute hell out of the area and all up the side of my face. And I had 20 sessions of radiation over a period of, yeah, just over four weeks um, to try and reduce the chance of this thing coming back on my lip. So to interrupt you, Craig, with the radiation treatment then over that period of time, I know my, my dad's just had it in his throat um, and he's like 82, bless him. And with the radiation, was it the last few weeks that are the most painful? It's like little, for him, it was like little gradual radiation. Then the last part was just like bloody excruciating. Was that the same for yourself? Cause it I'm was. Face, it must be, a, must, it must be a bigger dosage towards the end. Because it's such an intense thing, it's 10 minutes every day. And yeah. they're burning, you know, they, they make this face mask for you and you're, you're bolted to this bed and they slide you in and you can't move. It's like Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Yeah. I had the same with my neck and it is literally like you feel like you're, you're in a Jodie Foster movie, don't you? Yeah. And Bloody horrible. By the 10th session, I was in, in a lot of trouble. Like my whole mouth just was red raw on the inside and, and it, was, it was just um, all torn up because the radiation was just yeah. burning the hell out of the inside of my mouth. I couldn't eat. Um, it burnt all up the side of my face. Um, and by the, by the 20th session, like the nurses were saying, look, you're in a bad way. Why don't you stop and come back? And I yeah. didn't want to. I wanted to finish. And my body healed pretty quickly. Um, so that was sort of early October 2018. Sorry, not 17, 2018. And um, so I went back for the scan. And... I mean, I was nervous. I'd never had a scan before. I had a... Oh, this is a whole body scan. There's a whole like MRI scan. MRI. And, and then I had to go back to see the oncologist a few days later. You always see an oncologist if you have a scan. And um, so I went along with my wife and we were sitting in the waiting room again and I was pretty nervous and they called me in and uh, you could ask my wife. We both knew. We just knew. Did you? Like just body from his manner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was yeah. crap. You, you work in recruitment. Yeah. You're pretty good at reading people, and 
<laughs> you know, slightly different though, Craig, in terms of an offer might get rejected versus you might find out that you've got serious cancer. <laughs> yeah. I love how you put those two pans. He couldn't really look me in the eye and he said, how do you feel? And uh, how are you feeling? And I said, all right. And he said, are you getting any pain? And that's when I knew, like, that's when I knew hundred percent. And I said, no, I said, how'd we, how'd we go with the scan? And he said, yeah, the scan's a concern. Um, and I, and I can't really remember the rest of the conversation. No. I, I just knew, you know, he then told me I was stage four, um, which meant the cancer was in my blood. And once cancer's in your blood and it's metastasized in your system, you're stage four. And I never really understood the significance of stage four until an oncologist told me, well, there's no stage five. Um, and he said, once you're stage four, wow. you're always stage four. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that was a really, that was the worst day of my life. That was just a horrendous experience. And he said to me, immunotherapy is your only option. Um, mm. He said, but we need to do a biopsy and we need to be 100% sure that this tumour that's lighting up on the scan is melanoma. Mm. So I had to come back a few weeks later and they, um, it sounds terrible, but I mean, you're all drugged up. They drilled a hole in my pelvis and pulled out some of the stuff to make sure that it was melanoma and sure enough it was. Um, but we were at the hospital all day for that. And then you, you roll up a week later and you see the oncologist and he says, yep, hundred percent it's melanoma. Um, and he laid out how immunotherapy works and the, the thing with immunotherapy that's different from any other cancer treatment is that they're not pumping drugs into your system to kill the cancer. What they're doing is they're putting drugs into your system that allows your immune system to kill the cancer. Right. So when it works, you are killing the cancer. Your T yeah. cells and some of these other parts it's of your immune system kill the cancer. Of, yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah, which is actually very cool. Like I, yeah. I did some reading about it and um, I actually found out this wasn't a new thing at all, um, that people, some people had had um, unexplainable responses and had survived stage four melanoma, very few, like less than 5% or about 5%. And some of these people used to go off and do this thing where you'd, you'd hit and just have this incredible change to your diet and you'd go on this juicing detox thing for like a period of about six weeks. It almost killed you. It was so severe. But the idea was you were changing up, you're trying to cause this change within your immune system to have your immune system go into overdrive. And I watched a video about a, a girl who did this. Um, mm. And this wasn't immunotherapy, but it was the same sort of thing. So the concept wasn't new. Um, but my oncologist explained to me that I had two options. I could go with one drug and see yeah. if that worked. And if it didn't, that hit me with two drugs at the same time. Or we could just go with the two drugs. And I said to him, well, what's the difference? And he said, well, the two drugs is more of an all guns blazing approach. And I said, well, shit, like I want to do that. Um, cause mm. I don't want to waste time. Like mm. I was only here in July and it's October and it's already in my blood. Yeah. And he said, yeah, cool. He said to me, look, he said about 55% of people have a response to immunotherapy. So that means sometimes the tumor stops growing. Sometimes wow. it shrinks. Um, and in, yeah, and in, in about 19% of cases, the tumour goes away. So I, I wasn't really thinking 19% because I'm like, well, what are your chances? Like that's less than 2 in 10. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, 
he explained to me, if the tumor stops growing, we just keep you on the drug um, and you can live. Um, sometimes the drug stops working. Um, so when it all washes through, it's about a 40% five-year survival rate at the moment. Um, so I knew I was a four in 10 for, to survive five years. Um, so away I went and I turned up a month later and started the immunotherapy, which is an IV, and they give you the two drugs. Um, right. And the drugs are pretty toxic. So about if you go with the two drugs, I think it's more than half people, half people have a pretty significant side effects. Um, some are pretty so? dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had side effects straight away. I had um, rashes. I had stuff that I won't talk about because it's just gross. Um, <laughs> and, you know, headaches, fatigue. Um, and interestingly enough, I had a lot of pain in the area where the cancer was straight away. Like within wow. 24 hours of having the drug, I had wow. all this pain. So um, it was killing it. It felt or... like it was like a burning like a burning sensation and and i didn't know what it was um and i was back at work by now i'd i'd gone back to work after i was diagnosed stage four i went back to work because i was sick being at home so talk me talk me through that part then so you got diagnosed you got told what treatment that you needed talk me through that whole work situation i mean you don't have to go into detail who you're working for like we don't need to know that so much but just you know what happened like how did you get support and was there support and just how did you even decide to go back to work going through that? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting time because I took the time off to get the radiotherapy done because I knew I wouldn't be able to work. Um, and that was a good call. And the idea was, right, I'm having a scan on the 22nd of October. I'm going to go back to work a few days after that because I'm going to go and see my family and high five mum and dad um, yeah. and go back to work. Didn't work out like that, of course, but I decided to go back to work anyway um, because I'd been at home for three months and I, I was definitely starting to struggle. and. Right. Obviously, with the news, I just didn't, I didn't want to find myself in a place of just standing still, waiting to see if this was going to work. Um, and plus, with insurance and things like that, it made sense for me to go back to work. Um, and at the time, I was working for Allegis Global Solutions, and yeah. um, I spoke to our MD, who was very supportive. Um, the lady I'd worked for previously had left the company already, and um, the new person who was working um, on site with my new client um, reached out to me and I told her the story and she just said, whatever you want to do, if you want to come back, I'll support you. If you want to work part-time from home, whatever wow, you like. And yeah. Um, it was, yeah, because I mean, yeah. I needed to work because I've got a family, I've got two little kids and, and I'm married yeah. and um, the insurance money would run out at some point. Yeah. So I went back and I initially went back, I think it was two days a week. Um, and then it was sometimes three days. And, and uh, I mean, Amanda was amazing. Um, she, she would literally give me work to do. Like I'd have to go and ask her for work to do. And, and it was pretty basic stuff, but it just, 
disengaged me from the reality. Yeah, just distracted you. Because yeah, because I suppose if you're at home, you'll just be looking at the kids, and you know, you just probably get more upset, right? Than kind of that distraction. Did you feel that there were people kind of looking at you, or without? Was there any kind of pity? How were you conversations, or um, did you find actually it was all right? No, I didn't tell anybody. Oh, you didn't tell anyone at work. Okay. Yeah, because I wanted it to be a bit of a sanctuary. Like I wanted to be able to go there and just throw myself into it. That was the idea. I'm like, yeah. I'll go in. I'll be there two or three days a week. Um, I don't want people – I don't really want to talk about it because yeah. um, what's there to say? Like I've got stage four cancer and I'm on this treatment and I'll find out in three months if it's working and – yeah, you feel a bit feel a bit rubbish. You could just get would you have got upset even saying it as well? Just even this is what's going on. It just gets upsetting. Yeah, that's why I didn't tell you when I got it when I was in Singapore. <laughs> that's why I didn't tell you until I when I got when I got diagnosed. I went back to England, got seen, and I came back, and you went, "What the hell? Why didn't you tell me?" I was like, "I couldn't tell you. I'd be crying in the office." <laughs> so you end up just being really, you know, it is a distraction. I think when you've got things on your mind, being in a full blown job, you can just. Uh, you can put it aside for a bit. Maybe not the most healthiest thing to do sometimes, but I think for a short time, it's a good thing. I, and I think it's a personal choice. I yeah. I, I made that choice because um, I wanted it to be this place for me. And I mean, you kind of knew something was going on. I had this huge scar. It was more prominent then. Yeah. And my face, half my face was all red and I yeah. lost my beard. I can't grow a beard anymore. And I used to wear a bit of a beard. And right. um, I mean, I'd, I'd lost all this weight. You kind of knew I wasn't well, but um anyway i just got on with it and um and it was good you know it 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 helped me um understand that i had to keep moving forward i i Mm. made that commitment and look it was going to be messy you know i was prone to sometimes nothing particular would happen your thoughts would just run away with you a bit and you'd just find that you're going to cry and yeah I'd find myself in an office ringing my mum and dad or ringing you you know or one of my friends and um and uh it was tough you know and and um but it was during that period um getting back to when I first started the treatment I was getting this this pain and I remember calling my oncologist and calling my melanoma nurse and I'm like look I'm in a bit fair bit of pain and they explained to me that sometimes what happens is when the drug starts working mm. and people have visible tumors on their skin, the tumor becomes inflamed because what's happening is your T cells. And in my case, it was my T cells and this other little group of cells called CTLs. They're, they're ramping up and they're going to war with this thing and it causes inflammation. And they said, yeah. look, that could be what it is. Um, they said this tumor is, we can't see it because it's in your bone. Um, but that could be what it is. Um, so then I had to keep reminding myself that this pain is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's so a healing, it was it's quite, a healing thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, I remember telling my dad about it and he was, he was just, you know, super pumped. Like my dad was just <laughs> the most positive person in the world. It, it was amazing. And it also drove me mad. Um, <laughs> Because he just he just wouldn't hear of anything except that we were going to beat it. He, you know, and he's ringing me out of nowhere, and he's like, "Oh, mate, I've been reading about this immunotherapy stuff, and and uh, it's amazing, you know." And um, now my dad's four, and and um, did it help having your dad like that? It did because um, did you believe him? Yeah, and and I did, I did believe it. I believed that he thought that was going to happen. Um, yeah, you know, and and 
the thing is, and that was at the point where I knew I'd done the right thing by keeping it pretty close because mm. some people that I knew and, and I was friends with, um, you know, like what, one of the things that people would do that would drive me nuts was that they'd, they'd, they'd ring me and they'd go, how are you? And I'd go, I'm pretty shit today, actually. Um, I didn't, didn't sleep last night. I'm having nightmares. I'm dying of cancer, for God's sake. I'm feeling like shit, right? Yeah. And, and some people would go, you know, mate, you've got to fight or you've got to stay strong. And, man, that really upset me because... <laughs> I'm laughing because I totally experienced it. Yeah. And you're like, so my, my advice to people who are supporting a friend or anyone who's going through anything, yeah. don't talk to them in bumper stickers. Don't do the, oh, man, you've got to stay strong. Oh, you've got to stay positive. Because um, it's just BS. It's BS. Like, like it absolutely is. Yeah, I was yeah. I was down with the fact that some days I might cry for three or four hours, yeah. and I wasn't yeah. going to deny myself that. Um, well, it's a release as well, though, isn't it? I'm, exactly. Yeah, and um, so what should they say? What should people say? Everyone means the right thing, you know. And and but my very close friends, when I told them. They all said something along the same lines. They all just went, holy shit, man, this is just, I'm really, you know, they didn't really know what to say. They were just like, yeah. you know, this is terrible. What's going what's gonna to happen, you know? And they were, yeah. they were empathizing and they were more, their, their mm. hearts were breaking, you know, because mm. they love me. They're my friends and my yeah. family. And, yeah. um, and I felt the same, you know, I was so, I don't remember, I, I didn't go through that, oh, why me? I knew why me. I'd been in the sun. You know, and, and, um, but I was angry. I was, I was, mm. um, yeah, furious I, that I cancer was that. trying to take, take me away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, that's just me. That's how I felt. And, mm-hmm. oh, that's a really natural response. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I knew it was well, like, I'm like, okay. And again, I'd been reading and I knew that for your immune system to work, it's got to be in good condition. Um, you got to look after it. You can't be stressed. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah. I'm like, mm-hmm. God, you can't be stressed. You've got stage four cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, ironic, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I got some help. I went away and I, it took me, I think I saw three different people before I found a lady, a therapist, and she was just the right amount of science and just the right amount of hippie, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, we did some interesting stuff. We did some um, very mild hypnosis therapy and things like that. And And basically she said to me, when I started, what do you want to do? And I said, number one, I just want to find some peace. I, I, I just want to mm. be able to um, find some moments during the day where I can just be me and be with my kids and be with my family mm. or go to work, work, whatever it is. So I said to her, the second thing that I'd like to do is I want to get myself in the best possible shape to fight this thing from an emotional point of view. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. And, she said, right, let's go. Um, and, and she was great. You know, we, we cried together. She would let me, I said to her, look, this is going to be pretty heavy. And when I told her the story, you know, she was in tears and we both were swearing and we were upset and, yeah, um, you know, she was amazing. She was, yeah. Did you feel you were holding it in then for, for your wife, for your kids, for everyone? Did you feel that they're, I know you're always an open person anyway. We worked together with each other for a long time. But do, did you feel like you kind of had to put this stage face on as well for everyone else? Yeah, because 
it was, it just wasn't something you could externalize. Like I, I, um, a couple of times I remember going home once to mum and dad's and I went up to the headland one afternoon and there was no one around. Um, and I just screamed, I just stood there and screamed and profanities and, you know, I, I just let it go. You know, I just, yeah. And this was from the advice of my therapist. She's like, you got to do this kind of stuff, you know? Mm. And she said to me, you need to get back in the water. I hadn't been in the water. I hadn't surfed since it happened. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because I was, I, was so, I was just so tentative. I felt like this relationship that I'd had with this place that I loved had caused yeah. me to get cancer, you know? Yeah. And, and um, so I remember in January, um, so I was two months into the treatment, I went home to my mum and dad's and um, I had a few days and I, I surfed on my own um, and with a friend and I told a friend of mine up there what was going on. And, and um, but it felt good. It, it, it felt good just to feel just normal for a little while. Back, your, back to yourself, yeah. Yeah, you, you don't know whether the treatment's working. Um, and, and the date was approaching. Um, I had a scan coming up on the um, 7th of February. Um, so the time was ticking down. And, and although it wasn't a D-Day type thing, like sometimes initial results show that it's not, it hasn't done anything yet, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work. Mm. But you're hoping for the best, you know. You, you're just like, um, I'd really like to see a good result. And I, I'd, I'd gone out of my way to find people who'd been through this. And I found a friend of a friend, um, a chap who lives where I grew up. And um, I spoke to Terry a couple of times and he'd beaten it. He'd gone through it and he'd had a complete response and he wow. was... The same treatment. Exactly. Yeah. And like I'd never met Terry and we probably spoke half a dozen times and sometimes I was okay and sometimes I was crying and he'd take the call and he'd be out with his family and I'd say, oh, I'll call you back. And he'd be like, no, no, let's, let's do this, you know, and we'd speak and... Um, Sometimes he'd just listen, and mm. but he'd never say to me, "Oh, mate, this is what you got to do." He, he he'd just listen, and he'd just yeah. say, "Yeah, look, that happened to me," or "This yeah. is what happened to me," and and um, you know, no one could say what you want them to say, which is, "It's going to be okay." Yeah, yeah, you know, and the, you go and see your oncologist, and you know, I'm in there for every three weeks for treatment, and um, one of my best, well, my best friend, um, and I'm going to name him because. Um, I really don't care. Manuel, Manny Lopez, who was responsible, responsible for getting me to Singapore and has been my best friend for 20 years. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty awesome guy. He's a pretty awesome guy. He's the awesome guy. Like he, yeah. so what did he do for you? Uh, he was there from, from the first moment. Like he, t- he came up, he came down to Melbourne, left his family, came down to Melbourne for my initial operation. Um, yeah. he was there. Um, for my first and second treatment, he brought his wife and kids, his kids, sorry, his son, um, and they stayed with us. And, and um, you know, Manny and I had a lot of deep conversations and, and I could just tell him anything. And he never, ever gave me any advice. He was just there. He, he, mm. he saw me. He saw me at my darkest points and mm. I was able to tell him things I couldn't tell anybody else because I trusted him. Um, mm. And I remember I made him promise. I said, you've just got to promise me that if this doesn't work, you know, my kids are really young at the time. They're only two. I said, I don't want them to just think I was this guy that was sick who just died. You know, I want you to engage with them over the years with my wife and remind them that I was this, well, you know, I don't know how funny I was. 
but I was this <laughs> really good looking uh, funny guy <laughs> yeah yeah I used to have hair and you know I used to surf and and all these things and and Manny Annie's wife said of course you know we'll, we'll do whatever you need and yeah. um I only had the conversation once because I, I was like I'm not going to keep having this conversation well it would have been emotional even to say it right even to say it out loud that's a very practical conversation actually saying that because you were looking at an outcome that you didn't ever want to go to right a, 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 a place that I'm sure you've been burying since the day you got diagnosed right yeah and then so sure enough um the end of the treatment cycle snuck up and um I had my last treatment so I was having them every three weeks for the first three months and then I had my scan. It was a, um, it was the Thursday. It was the 7th of February. And, um, I went and had the scan. A friend of mine went with me. Um, then my wife had to look after our kids and, um, I had the scan. It was all day cause you have a, a PET scan, which is your body and you have the MRI. Um, and we left and I remember leaving and I was with my friend and, and she was driving me home. And I said, I just, I just had this really positive feeling about today. Like I, I don't know how to explain it. And she was like, really? And I'm like, yeah. Um, and she herself was a friend through work who I ended up unloading to one day. And then she ended up telling me about her own illness and man, it was just mind blowing. And I took a lot of strength from her as well. And so all of a sudden there's just, there's just these people rallying around you mm-hmm. who had their own things to deal with. You know, you, I reached out to you. I knew you'd had mm-hmm. cancer. I knew you'd beaten this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was drawing from whoever I could, really. Um, yeah. Strength from different people. Yeah. Get your diet right. You know, do, you, this yeah, is what I would do. And <laughs> I think I sent you some cookbooks, didn't I? But you were direct. <laughs> you did. Yeah. There was no bumper, there was no bumper stickers, were there, with me? <laughs> no. No. You know, I remember when I first told you, you freaked out and... And then I felt bad because I told you and, but then you were straight into, okay, man, right. This, this is your plan. You know, if you're asking me these questions and I was, these are your answers. And, mm. um, you know, it was, was it was time, amazing. Yeah. I think that was the time as well, if you don't mind me sharing. And I think a lot of people sort of, um, can relate to this is that some, cause I think your wife reached out to me first, didn't she? There's a, there's a text, I think initially just, you know, can you, cause I obviously know your wife, um, you've been through it. Can you just, can you pick up the phone? And I think a lot, I think the hardest thing is the people around you, you're going through it, but also so is everybody else in your, in your home, your family and, and, and not everyone, you can't, you can't explain it. I think until you've actually gone through it or know someone has gone through it, you actually do, you can absolutely draw strength from other people. You don't need so much advice all the time. It is actually just to offload it in a way. So I, I can understand when you said the whole shouting in a big, area just to go you know god this is rubbish and just just and and supporting yourself with people that can i don't know just give you that extra strength yeah absolutely and and again i think it's really personal i think people find their own path during this kind of stuff and like one of the other things i found a melanoma support group through melanoma patients australia which was just amazing like um it was a closed facebook group and i've I've never really been a big facebooker and um I got onto the group and I got the permission to join the group. And um, I remember again, it was January. The closer it got to the scan, the more I was freaking out. Um, yeah. And it was about three weeks out from my scan. And I remember I got to work one day and I was a wreck. And um, I just went into a meeting room and I was 
really upset and I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm just going to jump into the group and put my story out there. And within like an hour of me raving onto the, you know, just, just um, dumping onto this group, like 70 people wow. had, had responded and said, hey, we're here, you know. And these are all people who are like stage three or stage four melanoma. Right. Wow. So they're still going through it. Wow. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. And then I remember speaking to a couple of them on the phone um, over the coming weeks and same sort of thing, you know, just, just allowing that, just be, allow you to unload. Um, and so anyway, yeah, I go in and I have my scan and I come away feeling really positive about it. And then that was a Thursday and I wasn't due to go in and see my oncologist till Tuesday. So you got to wait all weekend because um, <laughs> it was public holiday public holiday on the Monday. Well, that was the longest weekend for <laughs> you. It was, yeah. Well, I was thinking I was in for a long weekend. And so I went off on Friday and I went to this drug trial forum because I wanted to understand how drug trials work. Um, and it was at a, it was at one of the, it was at the Peter McCallum Centre here in Melbourne, which is another big cancer centre. And um, I went along with a, a member of my group. So I was there with Alison and, and um, the room was full of oncologists, researchers and people like me who were there trying to find out more. And I remember the opening was a guy who's the head of brain cancer at Peter McCallum. And I didn't know this brain cancer is considered incurable. Like it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, and he said, look, I'm now, I head up brain cancer. I used to work in melanoma. And he said, 20 years ago in melanoma, we used to prescribe a drug that didn't work because we didn't have anything else. Um, oh. And people died. You know, and he said, now it's curable. Wow. And I was like, whoa, I've never heard yeah. anyone say that. You know, my yeah. oncologist didn't say to me that it was curable. My oncologist actually said to me, I don't expect this thing to completely go away. Um, and so anyway, this guy finished talking and, you know, he's one of the most senior cancer guys in the country. And he's like, any questions? And I'm like, yeah, mate, right here. Um, <laughs> I said, I've got a few for you. <laughs> yeah. I said to him, you just said that stage four melanoma was curable. I said, I've never heard that before. And he said, well, people are having complete responses, which means the cancer's going away. And five years later, they're alive. He said, I'm glass half full. To me, that's cured. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take that. And mm -hmm. um, over the next few hours, more and more people spoke. And I remember one lady put up her hand and she told the story about how she was there on behalf of her husband and he had brain cancer and they'd been trying to get on trials and they couldn't. And it just, I went from feeling really good to feeling really sad and yeah. embarrassed about my yeah. situation because I had a treatment option and this lady's husband didn't. Mm. And I left, I said to Alison, I'm going to go. Um, and I was on my way home on the train and I was feeling a bit, I don't know, all over the place. And I was speaking to Alison because I rang, she rung me to say, are you okay? And um, I'm on the train and my phone's ringing and it's no caller ID, right? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not answering that. And um, about the third time, it's just ringing. I'm speaking to Alison. I'm like, look, I'll just see who this is. So I answered the phone and um, it's my oncologist. And he's like, I won't use this surname. He's like, Craig, it's Mark. And I'm like, oh, hi. Because I'm not expecting him to call me. I'm seeing him on Tuesday. And he goes, um, I'm calling you about a great scam result. And I'm like, ah, oh. and I remember I, I stood up. I think I stood up and I'm on the train, you know, and um, he goes, he goes, mate, I'm, I'm looking at um, 
your MRI and at your scan. And he said, I, uh, the, the tumor's gone. And I said, wow. what? And he goes, he goes, yeah. He said, it's not there. He said, you've had a, you've had a complete response. And so by now, like I'm on the train and I'm sort of. Kissing everyone on the train. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm up on my feet and, and the train doors open and I'm off and I'm on the platform and it was very surreal. Like, yeah. because I'd never, I was hoping for, Hey, it stopped growing or it's yeah. shrunk 10%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I sat down and I said, Mark, say all that again. Mm. And he's laughing. And he said, <laughs> he said, mate, you've had a complete response. And, um, so I, I hung up and I jumped in a taxi and I rang my wife and I rang my mum and dad and I rang Manny and it was just this euphoric feeling, you know, mm. like I knew, I knew it wasn't over. I still had almost two years of treatment to go. I knew that, um, it could come back, you know, I didn't know then the odds were well and truly with me, but, but there was hope though. There was hope. Yeah. It was my moment. He said to me, this is the best possible outcome. Mm. He said, I can't see the tumor. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was eight minutes past two on the 8th of February, 2019. Um, I'm thinking about having that date tattooed on my, on my hand, on my wrist. Um, it was a big moment. Went home, yeah. hugged my wife, hugged my kids, um, sent messages to all my friends. And I've had scans for three months ever since. I'm still clear. Um, Amazing. Odds are I'll be all right. And, um, yeah, you know, 10 years ago, I'm past 12 months now. It was 12 months that I was diagnosed last November. 10 years ago, there's a 95% chance I'm not here. Um, so... Yeah, you know, and then you go on and you you rebuild your life. You know, you I suffered from some post traumatic stress. Um, I continued to see my therapist. Um, I lost my job a few months later. Had to find another job. How did that feel? Talk talk me through that because I think whether it's a physical illness or whether it's mental illness or a divorce or you've got you've got let go, whatever is traumatic. Talk, talk me through kind of having to go back, having to interview and explain, you know, explain those things. Because I mean, I, I mean, I know this podcast is all about you. I'm not going to go into loads of history on mine. But when I got back from Germany and I was away for three years and, and that was fine, but I got got that stupid thyroid cancer, in, in, which wasn't nowhere near on the levels that, that you'd gone through. Um and I always felt really embarrassed to kind of talk about it at interviews, kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what did you do for three years? Well, I was looking after the kids and uh, and I sort of felt as if I shouldn't talk about it, as if I was seen as a bit of a bit of a victim, really. I mean, did you kind of feel like, did you feel like that at all when you were interviewing? Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's hard to know what to do because mm. the doctors send you home and off you go and, and you're just trying to find your way, just like when they told you, you had cancer. It's similar to when they tell you you don't have cancer. Their job's done, you know, off you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I was made redundant. And, and, and part of me was like, you know what? I'm done with working. I'm out of here. Let's go. <laughs> Let's just go and be hippies and live in a cabin. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm um, sure your wife would be with that. I, no, no. I mean, and, and this is the thing, you know, no matter what circumstances are in front of you, um, human beings, we all have this survival instinct yeah. that pushes you forward, you know, no matter how bad you feel, 
you've only got to take one step. You know, you, like I definitely um, saw the emotional side of this and, and probably suffered from some depression when it happened to me. I think that's normal. Um, some days I didn't want to get out of bed, you know, and, mm. and I remember my friend who came to me with the scan had said to me, cause I said, how do you do it? You know, facing what you're facing. And she said, look, I just put one foot in front of the other and see what happens. Yeah. And yeah. so I was definitely doing that. You know, I was, I was frustrated that I'd lost my job. I was like far out. This is annoying. Um, cause I'm still at the, at that point I was still having treatment every two weeks. So I started doing interviews and, and I was just telling people. I was just like, look, you probably need to know I've had cancer. I'm still having treatment. Wasn't getting many callbacks for second interviews. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I'm, I was speaking to a, a lady in my group who's now one of my, she's, she's become a really good friend and she put me yeah. through this coaching program. And she's like, don't tell people you had cancer. They think you're going to die. Like, they don't want to hire some guy that's going to die. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, oh yeah. I actually love people like that because they just make, they just actually make you laugh through it all, don't they? <laughs> yeah. And so I just kept doing the interviews with the company that I'm with now. And uh, I, I will, you know, it's going to sound like I'm being favoritism here. They hired me. But when I interviewed, I laid it out because um, when I was interviewing, when I was interviewing, the team said to me, um, this is our process. We'll have a couple more interviews. We'll, we'll ask for references and we'll do medical and so on. Now, because it was getting serious, I felt like I had an obligation because I was yeah. still having treatment every two weeks and I yeah. laid it out. And um, my, my boss and, and my colleague that was there, they were very supportive. They said, yeah, of course, that's fine. You know, we've, um, of course, you know, and, and it was just boom, straight through and nothing more was said. And I was like, oh, that's cool because I didn't really want to, you know, I just met these people. I mean, in interview. I didn't. You know, you're not ready to talk about no, it. Um, no. And I and I went ahead and I was offered the job and I was thrilled. I was. Amazing. I felt so happy to be given the chance because I'm like, look, I'm not done. You know, I'm I'm 47, almost 48. Oh, you so don't look it, Craig. I feel like I still have a lot to offer in terms of my career, and there's yeah. still, I still want to participate in life. You know, and and um, and I'm finding my way to do that you know and and again drawing strength from those around me who have faced mm. you know i mean look what happened to me was very serious and it was very dangerous yeah. and i came in on the right side of it i'm yeah. still a member of my melanoma group and there's people within my group who die um yeah. and it it pisses me off you know it, it it infuriates me and because i'm so i, I i'm committed to becoming one of those people who makes people aware that cancer's got to go. It's got to go. We have to cure it. Um, there's, there's no upside of getting cancer. There just isn't, you know, if, if you were going to be, if you had cancer and you became an amazing person, I reckon you're going to become an amazing person anyway. Um, you don't need cancer to find that. Let, let's maybe you can lose your job or, or something like that and then become a great person. You don't need to get cancer. Um, there's just no upside of it at all. Um, and, you know, as you know, I, I participated in a half marathon last year to help you raise did. money for research. And yeah. I, was, okay. I was pretty unfit at the time and, and I was pretty lazy. I didn't actually do it. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that you're unfit. You're always fit. You're always running or boxing or doing something or other. I got it done. And my friends came again to the party and we raised seven grand or more than seven grand. And I was thrilled, you know, um, and that was kind of my coming out on Facebook because I yeah. signed up for this thing and I had to raise money and I'm like, oh, 
And one of the ladies said, a video is really good. You know, if you, you do a video and tell people what you're doing. So yeah, I ended up yeah, recording video. this video and I put it on Facebook to my friends and um, a lot of them didn't know what had been going on and, um, yeah. you know, money's pouring in and I'm like, whoa, this is cool. You know, this is great, you know, and, and just words of encouragement and mm. people who I hadn't spoken to in years and messaging me saying, hey, you know, my, my mum had cancer and my dad died of cancer mm. and I'm, I'm so happy that you're okay. And, again, for people who've been part of the collateral damage of cancer, like lost a loved one and they and they they don't get upset. They're right behind you. They're 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 next to you and it's inspiring. Um and it inspired me. And I got up on a very cold morning and I went out there and and I ran the twenty one K. I actually ran twenty five by mistake because I missed a turn. But um uh you know I'm gonna I'm looking at becoming a patient advocate. I can become a patient advocate once I'm clear for two years. And there's things that I just want to help that I want to do to help raise awareness around um, we're on our way to beating this thing. Um, And um, I'll do anything I can to help people who have to go through what I went through or not even as bad as what I went through or whatever it is. Um, So, you know, it's, and I was surprised at how I was able to put one foot in front of the other. I don't think I was courageous. I don't think, people say that some of my friends have said that to me and, and if they feel inspired by what happened to me awesome. Yeah. like, you know, yeah. that's great. But yeah. I can tell you right now, I'm not courageous. I can give you the names and numbers of people who are, um, mm. because people have faced a lot worse than I have. And, um, and but I, I think when you're dealing with, um, something like this and whether it's losing your job or a breakdown of a relationship or whatever it is, You'll deal with it in your own way and yeah. you, as long as your goal is to keep moving forward, it doesn't matter if you're crying. It doesn't matter if, if you, you, you know, you can't expect everything to be great all the time. You have to understand mm-hmm. that life is going to get you at some point and it's going to test you. And it's not a competition. It's not up to, oh, you know, you see these people and they make these videos and they go, oh, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer and, I never thought it was going to kill me and I just took it on and it, BS, yes, um, no way. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, yeah. Like yeah. You, you're not human if it doesn't affect you. Mm. And um, what, what do you think companies could do differently or better when it comes to people that are going through those kind of things in life? Um, I think people need to take off their, I can fix it hat because you probably mm. can't. Um, like if, if someone's going through mental illness or physical illness, mm. you're not a doctor, you're not a psychologist, you know, and, and, um, be their friend or be their colleague or be their boss and continue to be their boss. I mean, mm. my boss at the time when I came back to work was great. You know, I, I mean, I was begging him and I'm like, man, give me something to do. Come on. And, um, she's like, nah, nah, just go home. And I'm like, no, I'm here. Come on. And, um, yeah. and we found our groove, you know, and, yeah. and, and then she, she said to me, um, when we both left, she said, you know, you were, you were great. And I'm like, you serious? I said, I thought I was an absolute drag. And she was like, no, you know, you, you kept coming back and I could give you all this really menial stuff to do that I needed to get done. And you never complained. You just did it. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, cool. You know, that, that, that made me feel good. Um, yeah. that I could, I could still contribute, even though I was the, yeah. at the time I was a shell of what I had been, mm. um, because it just knocks the stuffing out of you, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you need to understand the person is going to be different if they're going through something like this mm. or anything that's mm. a big deal. It's going to change them. They're, they're not going to be themselves. So cut them some slack. How, obviously, you've got the scar on your chin. I've got two neck dissections, so I look like I've been mauled by a shark, which I do tend to pretend that I have been mauled by a shark when I see kids on the MRT staring at me. So, you know, it's a, it's a good story as opposed to just going going for two operations and, and, and looking like Frankenstein. Um does did that does that affect you a little bit in terms of are you conscious of it your cancer scars one of the things i went through with my with my coach within my group was we we talked about um i can't even remember how we got on the topic but it, it turns out i was someone who was quite I, I still was quite proud of what i'd accomplished in my life you know with my career and yeah. and i felt like i was losing some of that and i felt like that was part of my identity and we worked out it was um so i was actually a little bit more um trying to think of the word proud than I thought I was, you know, and, and, but it was good to understand that about myself. And she was like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, it, it doesn't mean um, that you're a bad person or anything. It just meant that you were proud of what you accomplished in your career. And um, just because you've got cancer, it doesn't mean that didn't happen, you know? And, and, yeah. um, and, and so it was just getting that understanding of, of yourself a little bit more yeah. and, 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 yeah getting someone else's perspective on, um, on things that are that close to you is really, it's interesting. Um, it's confronting. Um, yes. and I, I mean, I think the only way to sum it up is I remember reading something once and it was, it basically said, if you go through something like this and you come out the other side, you will be different. You will. Mm. Now I don't necessarily think that I'm a better person or some people do it and they become a better person. Like, great. Um, but you, you, your perspectives and things change. Um, and sometimes that's actually a drag. Like I'm a little bit more impatient, um, because I'm like, you know, oh, why is everyone standing around? Let's move, you know, move. Yeah. I'm living. I want to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and you've got to remind yourself, hang on. It's not, the world isn't all about me. I'm participating, yeah. um, in life yeah. and, yeah. um, you know, and, and, getting back to work and in my new job, I love my new job. It's turned out to be this fantastic opportunity for me, you know, great people, new industry. I feel engaged again. Um, and, and I feel like I'm part of something. And mm. I, I used to always think, Oh, you know, I imagine if you had cancer and you survived, you'd probably quit your job and go and live on a hill. It's not like that. Like, you still got to pay the bills, right? doesn't quite work like that. Does it? Right. Life goes on. That, I think that was that was a scary thing I found was um, when I got when I got back. Well, so I've had I've had cancer three times and I haven't had it for um, since 2014. So I think I'm good now. Um, but I remember coming back to work from a four months in the UK. I was working in Singapore for Robert Waters. I was on the banking team with Craig and, uh, and I went to the UK for the summer. Um, to basically have a neck dissection, have the tumor, have a sarcoma tumor um, removed, which was a really rare cancer, which no one bloody well knew what the hell it was. Um, and then when I came back, it was kind of, well, yeah, I would, I'd love to just not work, but actually the distraction was fantastic. And I remember just walking in, seeing you and you were like, oh, and you, you, you know, you're trying to be cool. And I went, what the hell's with these KPIs, Craig? They're a bit low here. And you're like, fuck, she's back. <laughs> I remember, I remember exactly where you were sitting and everything. And then we went on a Bali weekend. I remember you pulled me aside and said, I know you're back, um, but you know, calm down on the KPIs. I was like, right. But actually it was my release. That was my kind of way of going, 
yeah, I'm back. And it's a distraction. Did I? Did it make me a better person? I don't think so. I think it probably, like you said, it makes you want to do stuff. And I've always been a bit of a go-getter anyway, but actually it's made me even more so. It's kind of, well, you know, if we ever have any worries in our, in our lives, our family life or whatever, I would just go, it's not that bad. You lose your job, it's not that bad. Lose a house, it's actually not that bad. It, it, nothing will ever be as bad as sitting on, sitting on a hotel bed, going into an operation, not knowing whether you're going to wake up from it. I just don't think anything's as bad as, as that, actually, um, in some circumstances. So I just think, um, I think it just creates that kind of, that kind of courage in a way. Um, now, obviously, what, what's going around in the world at the moment, which is nowhere near as, um, well, it is serious. The coronavirus is serious and people are unfortunately dying from it. But obviously, from a work perspective, you've got people working remotely. We've got people that are, you know, potentially might be losing their jobs because, you know, um, the economy is changing. Now, I know we can't really kind of stretch this kind of resilience too far because it's kind of a it's a little bit of a different sort of topic in a way. But let's have a think about how people can be kind of adjusting, looking at um, what they could be doing differently or just to get through the next few months because it's going to be pretty tough right what I know from yours was obviously a physical mental emotional um, challenge that you'd gone through what would what were the kind of key things that you found were the things that really kind of got you through got you through that time I think the the penny dropped for me one day when I'd been back at work for about a month um, and I remember going out at lunchtime and I was having a bit of a walk and uh, I was speaking to one of my friends on the phone and I said I think I'm sort of finding my new normal. Like I've finally accepted that and I've mourned my old life because my old life's gone. Um, I've, I've got to go through this whether I like it or not. And um, I need to adjust and st- I can still live. There's things that I can still do. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. Like I was lucky I was relatively healthy. Um, I didn't have the chronic illness symptoms that so many other people had, I could go to work, you know, I could still exercise and I got back into an exercise program and, and all these types of things. And I just remember saying to her, I'm, I think I'm getting more accustomed to my new normal. Um, and I think in this kind of a situation, look, this coronavirus thing is going to be around for a while and yeah. all of our lives are going to change. And yeah we're not going to be able to go to the football and we're not going to be able to do things with our kids that we used to normally do, but you're going to spend more time with your family. It's probably a good thing. Um, you know, you, maybe it gives you a chance to read some more books, you know, on the weekends and um, try and see the positive side of this, which mm. is it's not the end of the world. And like I, I saw a video the other night um, and it was in um, Italy and everyone's you know, living in apartments and everyone's on the balcony and they're doing exercises. Oh, I saw that. Like playing a banjo or something as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was the singing in um, Spain and then there was a person exercising in Italy and they're out there on their own and everyone on the front. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that, they've nailed it. You know, the, the Europeans are on top of this. They realise, you know, you can find your house, but you can go out on the balcony and you can still engage with other people yeah. like this. And... Um, you know, rather than panicking and going, oh, you know, gee, I won't be able to post that many photos to Facebook that I normally do or whatever it is. Um, that was probably not the right thing to say, but um, brace it and sort of that my life, just like everyone else's, is going to change while. Yeah. It could be a little bit uncomfortable. It's going to be different to what I'm used to. Life goes on. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, yeah. Be happy that you've got your job. And if you lose your job, understand that this won't last forever 
um, employers will understand that you lost your job because of a recession, because of the coronavirus, if that's what it comes to. So I think it's just trying to simplify things a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, cause you know what, there's no point whinging about it. Um, it's, it's going to be, it'll probably get more difficult before it gets better. Yeah. And I think, I think it depends on individuals in terms of how they sort of bounce back. I mean, I think we are definitely seeing, I know, obviously I do a lot of work with the recruitment firms and it is a, you know, it is a tough time. And, and I think people are having to look at this kind of daily activities that they do and just changing that a little bit. You know, it is unfortunately sometimes working smarter, working a little bit longer, but also I think it's an opportunity, there is an opportunity to get closer to clients. They're also feeling it. It's just, I mean, I spend a lot of time with people just getting them to see the other side. You know, how do you think they feel? I know you're ringing, feeling uncomfortable for chasing jobs, but actually, how do you think they feel? What are the challenges are they facing? You know, can you be mapping the markets for them or, you know, providing other services to organisations? It's just trying to make opportunities from that, I suppose, as well. Um, you know, if you've got more time on your hand, then really be doing activities that, that are going to help in the next few months. It's just it's just being able to ride that course out. But also, I think it's just been able to help people at this time. If you're seeing colleagues that are really affected, you know, that are you know, that their jobs are in jeopardy or the money situation or, or whatever that might be, I think I mean, it's definitely thankfully more um there's more work going around mental illness now it's it's way more prevalent people are talking about it my worry is obviously with the way you know that the coronavirus that the people may be feeling you know more stressed and i think it is important to be able to to talk about that and let people feel that you know like we said before we don't want bumper stickers yeah we don't want um oh god's with you i had a few god conversations which you know i actually I'm fairly religious in myself, but in my own time, I don't necessarily need God to thrust down my throat. Um, so again, it's just being able to be a support. Like you said before, it's not advice. It's sometimes just, do you want to go for a beer? <laughs> um, you know, just to take your mind off that. So just being around, you know, um, you know, looking at people for that. I don't think, um, I'm not going to go into any any more detail on that because I think today has just been, for, for me, really just listening about your story and about everything that you've gone through, gone through from a work perspective, from a family perspective, just that whole challenge. And I know it's still an emotional, it's still an emotional journey. It's still an emotional story. And it, 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 it will be for everyone that's affected um, by, by your challenge. What I love to hear is that you beat stage four cancer. That's pretty, that's pretty bloody awesome. Actually, that's something to be proud of. The way I look at it is because of, I mean, the two gentlemen that invented um, or discovered, sorry, not invented, um, the drugs that I was on, the immunotherapy drugs, they won the Nobel Prize a couple of years ago um, because that's, wow. they're saving people's lives by the thousands around the world, you know, and, and everyone believes this is a breakthrough. This is a real breakthrough with cancer. And typically breakthroughs in cancer happen every 50 years. And at the moment that, that timeline's accelerating. And if it wasn't for these people, I wouldn't be alive, you know. And, and so to me, the credit goes to them. The credit goes to my nurse and my oncologist and my family and my friends. And we, we did it together. You know, I'm nothing special. I was a guinea pig. They, they put the drugs in me. It worked. They don't even yeah. know why it worked. Um, and yeah. so I'm, I feel like I have a responsibility to go, all right, yeah. um, I'm not going to act like a knucklehead and waste this opportunity. You know, yeah. um, it doesn't mean I'm going to live the perfect life and be the perfect father and the perfect husband, whatever it is. But I'm going to try and not be a knucklehead. And, um, try and appreciate the fact that I'm alive. And look, yeah. one point that I'll make, and you better not edit this out. Is <laughs> what? session today could have easily have been me interviewing you 
about you beating cancer, Andrea. You beat it three times. I've only had it once. You beat it three. I know. It's pretty awesome, right? Let's hope it's only three times. It's amazing. So do not. (laughs) You actually got off on that. That's hilarious. Do not sell yourself short there um, because that is an incredible, an incredible achievement. Yeah. It, it, no, it is absolutely. I, I, I do, I do think it is actually people around me that probably had to endure more of the fight than I did. Actually, <laughs> I think it is a fam. It's a family fight. Yeah, it's a family fight. I think than just the individual. Definitely. Um, now, when we caught up for coffee in Melbourne, you told me about a um, some kind of resource or some information thing. That can you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I did a, um, I helped with the production of a booklet that the Cancer Council um, sent out and um, I'll send you the link so you can include it. In- That'd be great. I can put that on the insights page. Yeah. Because it was, it was about cancer and it was about cancer and working and um, I participated in some phone groups and talked about how the fact that I was at work. So I helped very, in a very small way to help put this booklet together and just sort of looked over some of the material, but it's a really good publication and, and um, anyone who's, experiencing cancer and has got questions about it um it's a very thorough document it goes through in australia all the different things affect you in terms of insurance and how you can approach it from a practical point of view um but yeah i was i was really proud and happy that they asked me to do that would it still be relevant than information for people out in asia or i think so yeah because there's a ton of practical information in there that just sort of you know in terms of a handbook as to what are my options i think it Mm -hmm. explains it it explains it really well Okay, that would be really useful and I can put that on the website. That would be really good. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm going to say bye, but don't go off because I want to talk to you afterwards. So I'm going to say thank you very much um, for being a guest on Talent Talk Asia. And I'm, I'm really excited for people to listen to it. And I don't think it was, it was definitely not a depressing, a depressing podcast. It was an uplifting um, uh, personal journey. So I'm really, I'm really happy and thankful to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Andrew. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.